Welcome to Colorful Conversations with Katie. From exploring the latest design trends to uncovering strategies for building successful ventures, we dive deeper into the colorful world where aesthetics meet profitability, all while balancing work with life. Whether you're a budding designer or a savvy entrepreneur, this webcast is your go-to source for inspiration, insights, and a dash of lively conversation. Today's guest is Jason Maves. Jason grew up in Wisconsin. He worked for a large commercial construction firm in Madison, Wisconsin. They asked him to work on the Oklahoma State University of uh, School of Architecture, that is, for six to eight weeks to help finish it out. That evolved into six to eight months. And then you met your wife, Jason. Yep. <laughs> You've been there a hot minute. He decided to get into oil and gas at the same time, um, got his MBA after hours. Congratulations. Thanks. Now he is back in commercial construction with a smaller uh, family-owned company working on small and large projects, which is how I got to meet him. And so without further ado, welcome, Jason. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Katie. We're so excited that you're here. And I think um, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show is really to talk about the relationship mm -hmm. between a GC or um, really any construction person you're working with as a designer and where it goes wrong. If you missed last week's episode, make sure and catch it. It is a great episode. We take kind of the same thought process, but through the lens of an architect. And so we wanted to balance that out this week. Um, and we'll put the link in the show notes, but we wanted to balance it out with the perspective of your GC, your general contractor. What are they thinking um, when working with designers that they're like, gosh, I wish I could tell them about this, but I don't want to offend either. Mm. And when Jason and I were originally chatting about this episode, you said many um, designers and architects will say my intent was when they see something that didn't match up with their design. Talk me through your thought process on that and what designers need to know. Well, a lot of times uh, designers don't really see the project until the end. Um, so I've got some other things that, you know, you need to to look at when you're, when you're doing that. But, you know, when they see something in place, they're like, well, that's not my vision. That's not what I intended. Well, you know, if, if you intended to do that, you should have put on the drawings because that's what we work off of, right? Um, you know, so to help with, you know, designers from a G general contractor standpoint, I think, you know, more renderings, uh, drawings, um, visuals help. So when we uh, get when we get renderings from architects or uh, designers, we like to post them in our job site trailers. Uh, we like to post them actually where, you know, that rendering is taking place once the building goes up. Um, but also, you know, an, a, an issue I ran into the other day with tile on the wall was, you know, the architect said to the designer, well, could you make that drawing color so you could see the different color of what the tile should be um, mm -hmm. around, you know, a bathroom. Very intricate <laughs> design. So, Great you know, most blueprints or drawings are just... Um, black and white. So if you can provide some color, provide some renderings to, to help us out. Because in the end, we're all trying to, uh, you know, please the client uh, yeah. efficiently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind I think of... That's, it's a really good point. One thing we've started doing at our firm is asking the architect, because we work with various architects, but just building that relationship with them. So when they go in, not necessarily to permit submittal at the city level, but when they know who their GC is going to be, that they submit their plans with our plans and yes, print them in color, tape them up in the workplace um, and make sure that they're actually 
seen and we know what we're all building towards. So you don't hear that, what I intended, because that's got to be defeating too, is that you see when you're trying to deliver, but you can't be a mind reader either. Yeah. Um, how do we walk that line as designers? Like what truth would you speak in our lives about, you know, this is what you need to know. I don't want to offend you, but it would really help us out if you would, yes, provide more renderings. I think that's a great tip. Add color if you can, because it makes it true to life. What else in that conversation would you say to someone that maybe if you're working on a job, you wouldn't say it to them because you don't want to offend them, but you can say it here so that we have it in our head when we go into our next job. Yeah. So, um, you know, during the submittal process, um, usually we provide two or three samples of something. Uh, usually I ask for at least one of those back so that I could put that at the, the job trailer to, you know, when the guys are guys or gals who are putting the work into place that they actually physically see that. Um, you know, when I, uh, my wife and I built a, uh, a house and what I did is I built it in 3d. Um, I built it in Revit as a 3d modeling company and to help her, she's not a, a visual person. Um, I overlaid photos to scale to show her what the exterior was. Um, you know, this is kind of more in the design process, but I taped outlines on the floor to show, hey, this is this is what it's going to look like. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you put furniture in it, uh, room sizes, different things. Um, you know, is there a place in this world? Is there a business where you can take model furniture and, and move it around? I don't know. That would be to, a really that's an interesting help, conversation. Kind of help with the design for the client because you know once you put furniture in there, it changes everything, right? Changes everything. I mean, that's why as designers we do so much modeling, right? Yeah. Um, but sometimes there's also the disconnect. We forget that we see it through a 3D lens because that's the world we work in every day. But to go in and tape it out on the floor for the client, absolutely. Sometimes it's like, ooh, that was way smaller than I thought, or. Yeah, that's totally different. I like it, but it's different. You just never know what you're going to get, but there's something about the hard and fast realization that makes such a difference. And as a GC, you want to hear about that beforehand, not when you're being asked to move a wall. Correct. Yeah. We yeah. want to build it efficiently, uh, you know, be under budget, um, those types of things. So every time we have to change something, you know, and then there's another perspective I'll talk about is it's not just easy to change a wall. You have electrical, you have plumbing, you have everything behind a wall that we don't see. Um, but it's but all the function. All the stuff that goes behind it as well. So Yeah, that's awesome. You know, in fact, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There was um, a company, and it is escaping me at the moment, that went in and actually built out the design of what their all their offices were going to look like and like, let people walk through them, built it in cardboard. Cool idea obviously can be really cost prohibitive, but a great idea when you're putting millions and millions of dollars into a project to say, let's, let's build it in cardboard and see how it feels. So um, typically I've had a little bit of a hospital experience, but they'll, yeah. they'll build one, um, one of the rooms that are duplicated, you know, 20, 30, hundred times, they'll sure. build that in a warehouse. Um, so you know, if it's something of that nature and that scale, you want to do a mock-up, um, and that's, that's, that's always helpful as well. Well, and I always think like when you go by architecture firms or design firms, they'll have like models in the window of like, you know, to 16th of a scale or whatever. And it looks adorable, but like our ability as humans to get our mind around that is really, really hard. It's like 
well it's i mean it fits it's like a puzzle box size but what does that look like in real life like that's where i feel like our brains disconnect and like on those big jobs we need to have the ability to stand in the space it goes back to what we always talk about with that ontological design and see how the space feels to us um how the space impacts us and is that what we want out of it um yeah very fair point talk to me about the cost perspective because i always love to say as designers well we can build the taj but you know, we can design the Taj, but can you build the Taj and can you budget for the Taj? <laughs> um, this is something I think that gets lost on a lot of designers. Obviously we build contingencies in, but what do you wish you could say to designers when it comes to understanding costs, especially after the last year and all the inflation we've seen, a nail is not the cost of a nail in 2022 anymore, <laughs> right? Yep. So, you know, usually on projects, the finishes like the carpet or the tile are things that are specified as you can only have these. So you, during the design selection, uh, a designer says, hey, I, I, I really want these. Um, but do you know the cost of it? Sometimes do, do you go back and say, hey, supplier, what is this like a five to seven dollar carpet or is this a 10 to 15 dollar tile or is this a 30 to $40 square foot of tile. What, you know, is that something that you, I don't, I don't know that world as much as you do, but is that something yes. that you talk about? It should be. It absolutely should be a source of the conversation. I think keeping clients apprised of the budget as you go is absolutely critical and knowing where their starting point is budget defines everything, right? Like are yep. we building a tiny house or are we building the Taj Mahal Budget's going to define it all. And I think as good designers, it's our obligation to our clients as we nurture them through our processes, that budget is there every step of the way. It's easy to spend other people's money, right? But like, we should be telling them, this is what we're thinking. That's where I feel like as designers, we have a love-hate relationship with Pinterest, right? We know what the client is shooting for, but we're like, oh, I like that too, but we can't afford that today <laughs> based on your budget. And sometimes I think it's a lot of finessing and saying, we want to get you there. This is what's pragmatic, or let's put the glitter in, in just the right spot. I know you love that backsplash. So let's spend the money on that. Cause everyone's going to see that. Let's not spend so much maybe on the cabinetry or can we come down a grade on the granite or quartz or yeah, I feel like that's a huge, huge thing because otherwise when you go to bid it with your subs, I imagine it's a real eye-opener for folks. Yep. Yep. So a good example with the backsplash, my wife, um, so she's the color person. I'm not color because I'm a little bit colorblind. So that's awesome. Um this is why so, I love working with you. You don't dispute our designs. <laughs> <laughs> so I I got the bones of the house right, and she got yeah. the the colors of the house right. So she picked a you know non expensive tile for the you know bathrooms, mm -hmm. uh, the powder bath, which is a small bath. She picked a, a nicer floor tile, and then sure. the backsplash. She went really out All there, out. but, but yeah. it was only you know twenty square feet of it. So only a couple boxes. So that's kind of a, a good example. Um, it's a great example. You know, the earlier you can get a, a construction manager, general contractor on board to help with that pricing exercise, you can yes. say, Hey, you know, this flooring is, is out of line. It's way, way too high. Is there something we can do to change it, to scale it back, to help us, you know, get there. Um, you know, as construction managers, when we're brought on, you know, early on to help with the design, we help make those decisions. Um, you know, typically we go through three, four estimates um, on a project before we actually start bidding things out to um, 
you know, the subcontractors. So, you know, you helping know. bringing someone in early, um, mm-hmm. you know, our job is to know a little bit about everything to yep. help, you know, define, hey, do you really want to spend that there or do you want to spend it somewhere else? It's so wise. I think it's interesting in talking with Wes and getting the architectural perspective um, on our last episode and then talking to you and knowing as a designer in our chair, it's interesting that the one thing we hear over and over again is bring us in early. Please bring us in early. Like, I don't think any of us in this profession love being brought in later in trying to triage a project because all of us have very different perspectives. We're all working towards a common goal, mm-hmm. but just like a good stool, each of us has a different leg that's equally as important to get that stool to support the project, so to speak. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What do you think, how it's interesting as designers, we get put in a real predicament sometimes. Sometimes we're working with a client who doesn't have a team and we get to bring on our team. And sometimes they do. If you're a designer working with a brand new GC, new to you GC, what do you think is critical as part of that, as you said, kind of knowing a little bit about everything and being brought into the process? What do you hope a designer says to you when they arrive on your job? Um, You know, part of our job or our you know, role as a designer, an architect, a builder is to work together to make a client's vision come true, right? Totally. Um, you, you're you the people that, you know, make people want to live there, work there, play there, you know, go to that doctor because they had a good experience. You know, we went to a pediatrician that had a bright, nice office. And we're like, man, this is the best place mm. around. I want to I come here, right? Right. So that helps that client uh, be, be where they want to be. Um, you know, I think working together as that common vision is, is where we all need to work. Um, you know, you're an expert in your field. I'm an expert in my field. Uh, architects expert in their field. We all need to work together to take the best knowledge and and, mm. and build it, help deliver that for the client, right? Agreed. Totally um, agreed. Well, and we don't always agree. I will say that. I think that's important. I mean, we, we've worked on jobs where you're like, I don't see that working or I don't see how that's going to happen. Or it was interesting. We had a situation with a different GC last week on um, a job where they're like, we can't mount that fixture to ACT or acoustic tile. And I said, well, I, I think there's got to be a way like we need this fixture mm-hmm. mounted. And it was as simple as just picking up the phone and talking them through how we were going to load bear that fixture. And sometimes I think it just comes back to that, that relationship and remembering what the common goal is. This is what the client requested. How can we both work together? I respect that you have a load bearing problem over here that we have to figure out. I also have a client over here that's expecting to have this fixture hung. So how do we get there together to make that happen? And remembering that goal, I think also just not having ego about it. That's, it can be hard for all of us to set that aside, but letting go of that is so critical. I feel like in each because each of us are a critical piece of the puzzle. If somebody brings that ego to the table, the puzzle yep. begins to crumble. Yeah. We all need to rely on each other to help, you know, get the project done. Right. Yeah. Well said. Um, I want to go back to what you were saying about cost perspective. You had a um, great example to share about porches. And I want to hear about that. Um, so when we were building our house, um, our, uh, you know, we were looking at just regular wood deck versus Trex deck. We're like, let's go use Trex because, it's going to last longer. I'm going to have to stay in the other wood deck 
totally. every three years, let's say, and you know, by the third staining, it already paid for itself. Right. Well, this was during the pandemic and Trex was high as long as much as other things. And, you know, I asked the the builder, hey, can we just do this in concrete? They're like, what? So, well, <laughs> it may be cheaper just to do it in concrete, right? Sure. So let's make a whole concrete um porch instead of you know trying to build this with wooden treks so i think that's just uh one thing to to know and then you know with the with the recent years and the you know mm. the times that we're living in um sometimes you got to think outside the box especially with long lead materials well i can't get this for so long well we had this on a project where um the the design was uh steel choice for the the roof deck yeah i said well you know they're building all these warehouses i think can it's not a big building can we change it to steel beams otherwise we're going to be waiting four or five months um and it mm -hmm. it came true you know time is money not only for construction but also for clients wanting to you know earn earn revenue on their their buildings um Great examples. Absolutely. The, only, the last thing I'll say on kind of the cost perspective is, um, you know, you can do uh, alternates. A lot of projects have, you know, bid this as an alternate. So let's say I want mm. uh, this specific flooring, but as my second choice, yeah. I will uh, allow this flooring. Well, let's say if the whole project comes in and you have extra extra money you can go to that that nicer flooring potentially so you know keeping your options open up front is is also a good idea that's a great point because if there is that one thing the client wants if you can wait until the end and see where the budget is at and then still try to give it to them even if there were hiccups which which project doesn't have hiccups along the way i feel like when you can end on that note it is a much sweeter note that is much more powerful relationship building to be able to say, yes, there was this and that and that, but oh gosh, we were able to get that backsplash in and it looks so good. And it was, it was on your want list and we made that one happen for you. That's powerful. And, um, you know, a lot of people who build are doing this maybe one or two times in life, right? Totally. A lot of owners are, Hey, I need this new building. You know, this is probably the one or two buildings I'm ever going to build in my life. Um, so part of the process is also helping educate them. Um, as a designer, you probably do a lot of that as a construction manager, walking them through the process. This is how this works. Um, architects probably do that as well, but um, I think a lot of it is is education and communication. You know? Huge educational component. Yeah, it's not just picking the pretty things, right? Anybody who's been around this industry for any length of time knows half of more than half of what we do probably is educating the client on this is the construction process. I mean, especially what's the difference between you know an SD, a CD, a DD? Like, how what order those go in? How do we execute those? What legalities are involved in each step? What do you know? I mean, once you sign off on your SD, you've signed up on your SD and we're moving on over. We're headed to DD, you know, like, and sometimes they don't get that journey, they, which why would they, you know? And it's yeah. our job to explain what I lovingly call the construction story to them. Like this is the design and construction story. And this is how we go from concept to visualization, um, hopefully while maintaining that budget and being sensitive to that.
Yeah. I want to jump to um, field coordination. Once we're underway, we have that design and we've gotten through everything and we're now in, in the thick of it, as I like to say, because this is where it usually falls apart between GCs and designers and my, everything's fun on paper, right? But then when we get into the field, it's really figuring that out. Talk me through that process. What do you wish designers understood and the value of field coordination from the GC's perspective? So, you know, most of the work in a building is what the the designer has, what you see is what the designer's done. Um, like I said, it makes you want to go to that building to work there or uh, to go to, to school there or go, go to the yeah. doctor. Um, but there, there's many things behind the walls. Um, so there takes a lot of coordination up front that, so it doesn't look like an afterthought, right? Yep. Um, so that's working with with you all. Like I said, let's model where these walls go. Let's lay out the furniture um, because if you want to move that wall, it's also moving the plumbing. It's also moving the electrical. It may be a load-bearing wall. It may be a firewall. Um, so you want to do all of that coordination up front. Uh, even, you know, furniture, if you're putting cubicles out in an office space. How you run how an you electrical. How do you get electrical to do it? Do you yeah. want a pole that comes down from the ceiling or do you want it to feed up from underneath the floor? Um, yeah. So a lot of that is coordination up front because even before the structure's up, we're pouring the concrete slab that all that needs to go into, right? Well, there's a huge cost differential. I mean, the idea of just running, you know, conduit down the inside of a column or a beam or a post versus... Yeah, saying we're going to, you know, put in the conduit in the floor, create the stub out before we board the slab. And what's interesting is there's not that much if you plan for it in advance, right? Like it's not that much to be able to put the conduit into the slab, but you got to think about that before. Otherwise, we're in there with a jackhammer, jackhammering on the floor because, oh my gosh, we forgot a floor plug. Like that's the worst situation you ever want to be in, right? Not yep. the worst, but it's 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 not one you want to pay for, we should say. Yep. And then also, you know, think about, let's say what just goes inside of that wall. Um, we had a, a drawing that showed, you know, the wall is supposed to be a certain thickness. Well, this TV that you want to mount on, it has a, a larger back box. So wow. either the TV sticks out or we make the wall bigger. Um, you know, so as I tell superintendents, you know, when you when you look at a finished product, you know, what is all behind that finished product you know, what all goes into that. So you kind of have to work the opposite way to make sure mm, things look good. finished um, when you're when you're done, right? When you yeah. put a TV on a wall, just a simple example, how do you mount it to the wall? There needs some sort of backing in the wall so you can- Totally load bear that thing and it doesn't fall out. Yep, so- Great points. Let's talk about field visits. Um, there tends to be, I think, a stigma around designers not wanting to go get muddy boots, so to speak. Um, the, I think you can earn more street cred as a designer putting on a hard hat, a safety vest, and a good pair of steel toes boots than the, that'll buy you street cred any day of the week on any job site. Um, it's so important to get out there and see what's going on. What is it looking like? And it allows and it opens up the conversation with your GC to say, yeah, maybe it doesn't look like how I envisioned. And that's, you know, however we got here, we're here, but let's catch it early, right? What else do we need to know about those site visits? Um, yeah, so uh, I think it's all really good for people to actually see the work put in place. And um, there's a 
there's a scheduling concept uh, in construction called the last planner. Why do they call it the last planner is what everyone says. Well, those are the last people that are actually putting the work in place, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, you have to somehow communicate as a designer to the person actually installing the tile, the the bullnose, the, the schluter on it, the paint texture. How do you want that to look, right? So Absolutely. it's it's not you putting that in place, right? right? It's someone else. So, you know, it's good to come out and, you know, look to see how that actually works. You may draw something on paper, but it may not be practical, right? Um, so I think it's always good to come out throughout the project. You know, typically we see designers at the end, just that punch list. Well, Think and then good. it's too late, folks. The ship it's has sailed. <laughs> too late. The owner wants to move in. And yeah. um, so I think it's good for designers, architects to do field reports, come out in the middle of the project, see how that tile is going. Is it what you wanted? Does the colors match up? It's easier to change, just say, route colors now than it is once everything else is in there. Well, and it, even sticking with that example of tile, it's so much easier. Let's say we specify a super thin grout line. Well, the manufacturer of the tile says it's going to be a three eighths, right? Like that's going to be the bare minimum. So of course the installer, the sub's going to do what the manufacturer required because then they're protected, right? As a designer, we draw, we arrive on the job and we're like, but that's not what I put in the plans. If you're out there and you can see the sub and you see him getting ready and say, oh yeah, he's laid the tile. He's got all of his you know, pieces in to prepare for grout that's a lot thicker than I was intending that to be. And then you can say, and he can say, well, the manufacturer said you can have that conversation before the grout gets put down because especially if you're using yeah. an epoxy, oh my gosh, you're not getting that out anytime soon. And so to be able to have that conversation on the front end is truly invaluable. And so we also, you know, not just as the, the, the floor is laid and you're about to grout it. Um, yep. What we like to do in, construction are called pre-construction meetings, pre-con meetings. So Absolutely. before a certain trade starts, we meet with the architect or the engineer, or the designer and say, here's what we're going to do. And you say, well, did you make sure you looked at this detail or, Hey, I wanted really thin grout lines. I know the manufacturer doesn't that let's write an RFI. I'll say, Hey, I I'll take credit for this one. If it doesn't work out or something. Right. Right. Um, you know, I think, after work is put in place, it's a lot tougher to change something. So looking at it up front, just like you're designing the building, um, let's do it before it, it gets in place. It's so invaluable. The, the projects that make me the most nervous is when I don't know who all the players are and not all the players are at the table out of the gate. Those two variables give me incredible heart murmurs because we don't have a rapport and a relationship with them before something does go wrong. And uh, something goes wrong on every project. If you only had one thing go wrong, I'd consider that a huge win, right? Like stuff comes up, we're building in three-dimensional space with gravity, load bearing, and all the other variables. But to sit at the table and say, hey, like, I know you, we've chatted, we have a relationship. How do we work through this jointly is so yeah. different than coming in and saying like, it turns into finger pointing. I feel like when you don't have that, it's like, well, the designer said, well, the GC said it's really easy for it to digress really quick. And of course that's at the expense of the project. Yep. Yep. 
this is great feedback. Anything else we're missing, Jason, that you yeah. wish you could speak truth into a designer's life about? Um, so I always say uh, light color fixture, light fixture colors and furniture can change everything, right? So typically when world. walls are painted, the the actual light fixtures are are not are not on. Um, light fixtures have different colors. Um, yeah. You know, I, I when we repainted or when we when we bought a house, we were gonna have to repaint the whole thing. But I said, hey, let's just change light bulbs. Light bulbs. And yeah, it made a difference. Trick. So yeah. I spent a couple hundred dollars instead of a couple thousand dollars, and you know, it it makes a difference. Even we had a an owner walk through a building. She's like, I don't like that paint color. I said, Well, let's turn on the lights in one of the rooms, and it and it made a the the whole difference and huge difference. It it it, it all worked out. Um, and then you know, furniture will make a project. You don't see the the final end game right until all the furniture's in. Thank um, you for appreciating what we do. Yes. <laughs> And so, you know, I think the designer should be on board for furniture selection um, and, and, and making sure the wall colors, the floor colors, uh, everything matches down to the furniture. Because if you put some sort of furniture that doesn't match in a building, it's going to look like a sore thumb, right? Yeah, it totally does. Well, it's uncomfortable. There's always that that physical component of it's just uncomfortable. Something's off or it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. yeah. And even my wife, uh, when we when we furnished our house, the the kitchen table, she chose blue chairs. It's That's kind awesome. of like a blue wood, you know. Yeah. So, so Super pretty. Adding, adding some color um, can also, you know, make things stand out differently. We love color. Well, so. Color is everything. This has been a great conversation, Jason. Okay. I want to get us to our rapid fire round. What is the book that most changed your life, business, or both? Uh, so I had to think about this one a little bit. I don't really read books. I read books in, in college and all that, but uh, yeah. I'm a believer in in doing things. Um, I I had a stint in my life, and it's probably still there, where I wanted to write a book. Nice. Um, and, you know, it would be about mentors. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't think a book has changed my life, but a lot of mentors changed my life. I want to go to school to be an architect and uh, one of my teachers in high school or before that said, Hey, so did I, I was going to be an architect. I was going to be on the seventh floor of one building drawing floor plan or, you know, window details for the next building over mm. uh, for a couple of years before I could actually, um, you know, actually design a building. Um, yeah. Another mentor you know, this was a long time ago, but uh, he said, hey, let's do a technology communications lab so we can help teach students of, you know, newer technology. This was a long mm, time ago. Interesting. Um, but a lot of people, you don't realize they're mentors until they're, you know, they're out of your life or you didn't know that what they've done has changed your life. So, you know, I think you always have to appreciate your mentors um try to be mentors to other people Agreed. so that you can help them uh steer their life in a direction that you know maybe you didn't think so love it what advice would you give to your 20 year old self um 
So these are really good questions, but they invoke a lot of thought that you have to put in. Um, That's all right. So be more entrepreneurial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hustle. I didn't, when I was 20 years old, I, I don't think this term side hustle was, was something, but a side hustle can turn into a career, right? Um, totally. And it's something that you love, love to do, be passionate about. Um, it can create a legacy for your family that you can pass on. You know, construction businesses are a lot of, uh, a lot of family companies, mm-hmm. um, smaller companies. And if you can maybe start a, a business, you can pass that legacy on and say, you know, hey, this is something that we started. The company I work for is over 100 years old, right? Awesome. Um, and they pass that legacy on. So, you know, what can you do? You know, start early, just just like investing. The more you start early, once you see your 401k in 10 years, you'll be like, wow, I didn't know that I could do that. Um, I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, always live life while you can, because you never know what the next day um, yeah. can bring. So yeah, live it up. I'm still there with you. No, that's in fact, what really led me to build this firm is the idea that someday my daughters can take it over or we can sell it, but it gives them an option if they want it to come on and uh, do some pretty cool things, changing people's spaces. Um, How cool would it be to work with your mom or dad, right? Ah. Uh, I think it's, it's my dream. We'll see if it's theirs. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. jury's still out. Yeah. But no, I think it's so true. And and to take something that you love, that may be a hobby or a jobby, as I like to call it, but developing it into something that can support and pay your bills and change other people's lives. That is so powerful. That is, that is the why to what I do. Um, but that's also the why to a lot of the people we coach is taking it to the next level and just yeah. saying, how do I take a passion and turn it into something that actually pays the bills and can live where I can live my dream life or my best life now. Cause to your point, we don't know what's in store for tomorrow. Yeah. Um, that's great. And then yeah. what's your best time management? Hack? Uh, keep a clean desk, right? Oh, so we haven't had that one before. Tell me more. So, uh, every people that come in my office are like, are you moving out or what? It's like, <laughs> no, I just like to keep a clean desk, right? The more stuff you have in front of you, it, it gets, cluttered um and you know keeping a clean desk is not just stuffing papers in a in in your inside your folder or something yeah you know keep things that you need to work on on your desk yeah um but make sure you get it off your desk but also recognize that um for the end of a project or the end of a task it might need to go to someone else right so Mm-hmm. prioritize getting that off your desk to the next person before you know something that can wait until later so let's say hey i need this reviewed you know my coworker needs to review it and get it back to me well we don't know what's on their plate let's get it off my plate get it on their plate so that when it comes back i can I can do it efficiently so you, have you know keeping a clean desk trying to keep a clean inbox um and getting things off your plate uh, so you can move on to the next thing. Love it. Great tips. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another insightful episode of Colorful Conversations with Katie. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion today and found valuable insights to help you thrive in your design business and life as we merge them here. 
Uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey of learning and growth, your enthusiasm and dedication to honing your business skills as design professionals. It inspires me to keep bringing you valuable content. So remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out and let me know. I want to make sure we're getting that valuable content to you. If you would like one-on-one time with me, I would love to discuss your firm and plan intentional steps for your growth, your success, and living the life that you want. Uh, You can book or call with me on our website at www.colorworks.coach. Until next time, keep dreaming, designing, and mastering the art of running a successful interior design business that scales to your life. This is Katie Erickson signing off for now. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.